Please take your Bibles and also your outline as we begin a new two-part series today entitled Biblical Parenting. Part one is entitled Discipline with Purpose. Read from two different texts if you could kind of hold your place from Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament. And then a little bit later after Ephesians is the book of Hebrews chapter 12. My sources include Raymond Brown's The Message of Hebrews from the Bible Speaks Today series, uh, Dr. James Dobson, The New Dare to Discipline, Wilson Benton, a message entitled Raising Covenant Families, and a message by Roger Thompson entitled Kids Rule. Ephesians chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 12, please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. This is the Word of God from Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And those really are the two parts, that last verse, the training and instruction of the Lord. And now in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, this is your word. Please help us as we seek to understand it and honor us with your presence, O Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ our Lord, I pray. Amen. Please be seated. The Bible is clear that children are a blessing from the Lord, a wonderful gift from God. God forms them and gives them as blessings to their parents. Children offer to our present generation a specific way in which we can visualize the future. One day the baton will be passed on to them. So how they are trained is incredibly important. This morning in our facility, I would guess that there are maybe 50 children here. But the one or the ones that really matter are yours. What does God have in store for your children? What does he intend for you as a parent to do 
for your children to prepare them for a wonderful future. You know, a song that, that is it's a classic, and I'm, I'm sure many of you remember it. A song by the late Whitney Houston, The Greatest Love of All. Remember that song? Listen to the lyrics. I believe that children are our future. Teach them well. Let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my need. A lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend on. On me. Eventually, the song says this I have found the greatest love of all inside of me. Now, along with some half truths in that song, is a message that has taken root in our society. And that message is this Leave the children alone. In other words, children left alone from the interference of adults and parents will become, on their own, strong, independent, and successful people. So, in other words, parents, get out of the way. Let the children live their lives, their wishes, their feelings, their happiness reigns supreme. Do you believe that? I sure hope not. But a majority of people in the society in which we live, they do believe that. Psalm 127 reminds us that there is one and only one who reigns supreme, one who is to be the object of our loyalty, our love, and our sacrifice, and it is not our children. It is the Lord our God. Psalm 127 reminds us, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. This morning we will talk about discipline. Next week, instruction. So what's the difference? In your outline, discipline means the shaping of the will through training. Instruction means the shaping of the mind through teaching. I'll remind you of these definitions next week, but for this week, our focus will be on discipline for the purpose of shaping the will through training. Now, there are two parts to discipline. One, reinforcing what a child is doing right. Reinforcing what a child is doing right. Secondly, correcting what a child is doing wrong. So our focus today will be on this latter portion of discipline. And speaking of purpose, what's the purpose of child rearing? The purpose of child rearing is to bring up a child to maturity so that the child actually seeks in his or her life To glorify God. Which leads me to say this. You and I cannot save our children. Only God can save our children. You and I cannot change the hearts of our children. Once again, only God can do that. However, you can assist the Lord in preparing your heart, your child's heart for change. And and that's what we will discuss this morning. So as we begin this two-part series... I want to ask you a couple of questions concerning discipline, questions for your honest reflection. Number one, are you afraid of hurting your child's feelings? Are you afraid of hurting your child's feelings? In other words, do you fear the disapproval of your child more than the disapproval of God? I can think of few things that are more painful than 
being rejected by your own child. Which is why parents tend to avoid that at all costs. So, do you serve that fear and not the fear of God? Here's a second question for honest reflection. Are you afraid of doing what God's Word instructs you to do? In other words, do you understand that as a parent, you are God's representative to that tiny blessing in your life and that ultimately God will hold you accountable for how you exercise His authority in the life of that little one for the glory of God? There's been a lot of emphasis on the family for so many years to the point that this culture in which we live has created certain idols and even raised them up to a position in our lives that they were never meant to be. So I'm confident that someone's idol in this church might be exposed this morning. And if that's true of you, a couple of things could happen. Number one, you are truly afraid in an irrational sense of what the implications of this message might be for you. And then secondly, you're hoping that your way of exercising discipline in your child's life, even if it's ineffective, will in the end work out okay. So please do yourself and your child a favor. Be teachable for what it is the Lord might want to say to you today. And some of you are not parents. Some of you who are not parents will one day be parents. And so this is helpful to be thinking about this now. All right, three lessons. The first being the biblical mandate, which comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? So the writer of Hebrews ties the discipline exercised by our earthly fathers to that exercised by our heavenly father, reminding us that the Lord God is the ultimate authority in your child's life. Now, a father who really loves his children will be anxious for his child to submit to God's authority and in so doing realize his potential and come to maturity. Our text reminds us that a good father recognizes that without his discipline, his child will remain immature, childish, and rebellious. Our text also contrasts our earthly parent with our spiritual father, the one true God. So earthly fathers are simply extensions of our heavenly father who has all authority and is in authority over us all. It's interesting that we're told if we submit to God's authority, we will live. Which reminds us that our first parents, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, were clearly told that if they disobeyed God's word, there was a consequence. What was that consequence? They would die. By refusing the authority of the father of our spirits, they brought spiritual death upon themselves and upon their children. So it's important in order for us to truly understand why our children need discipline, we must understand the nature of our children. Which leads us to the doctrine of original sin. And for those kids who have been through confirmation, those kids that have studied about original sin, this is something that they understand. I don't know if they understand it personally, but they understand the concept, which is that the Bible says our first parents disobeyed God 
And as a result, that sin choice passed on to all of us. So that we are born with a propensity to sin. Psalm 51.5 says, this is David, King David, Surely I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So the nature of our children is why there's a biblical mandate concerning discipline. Now, are you ready for this? It's actually worse than you thought. Every child believes, every child believes that he or she is the center of their universe. They do. In other words, what I'm saying is that all children, yes, even yours, are self-centered to the core, believing that everything revolves around them. Bishop J.C. Ryle once said this, Children are born with a decided bias toward evil. So if you let them choose for themselves, they will choose wrong. C.S. Lovett, noted authority on child rearing, states the obvious when he says, When a child is properly trained, he or she has to go against his own spirit to do the wrong thing. That's why God commands us to train our children. God says, train, not teach. Have you ever considered that there's a difference between the two? A difference between training and teaching. Lovett goes on to say this, teaching alone won't work. Teaching imparts knowledge. Training builds character. So as I said earlier, we'll cover teaching next week. Today the mandate is training. And here's the verse that we all probably know pretty well. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know that verse, right? My question is, is this an absolute promise with no exceptions? So think about the verse for a moment. Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when he or she is old, they will not turn away from it or depart from it. Is this an absolute promise, the second part? I mean, the promise portion seems pretty absolute to me. Is this a promise with no exceptions? I mean, if every time a grown-up child departs from the faith, from the way of Jesus Christ, is it due to the parental failure to train? It's a good question, isn't it? You know, I think that seems like a very heavy burden for a parent to bear. And so I want to remind you that Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are wise sayings. Wise sayings. I mean, think about the kings for a moment. There was a king, 7th century B.C. king by the name of Ammon. Ammon was an idol worshiper. His son was Josiah. Josiah became king at a very young age. And he was a godly young man. He didn't get that from his father. It's really kind of strange, isn't it? And then Josiah had a grandfather named Manasseh. Manasseh was a very evil king. And then Manasseh had a father. So in other words, Josiah had a great-grandfather named Hezekiah who was a godly king. You see, sometimes this just doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? 
So again, I want you to think about these things. Listen to Proverbs 22, verse 15. Folly, foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. So discipline or training is the key, but how you train is all important. So that leads to the second lesson. First lesson, the biblical mandate. Second lesson, the biblical method. Look at verse 10 in Hebrews chapter 12. Once again, how they disciplined us, that is, our fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. So the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, and the Hebrew word for train is the word shanak. Built into the real meaning of shanak is a vital clue about how to parent. Shanak literally means palate or roof of the mouth. And it suggests actually two ideas to the Jews. One, the, the breaking, the picture of breaking a wild stallion. And some of you have some of those wild stallions in your homes, okay? Which needed a rope, not the child, the horse, uh, needed a rope or a bit in his mouth. And the idea is that of bringing a wild spirit into submission. And the other picture of Chanak is the picture of a midwife dipping her index finger into a saucer of tart-tasting grapes and then rubbing the juice from her finger on the roof of her newborn child's mouth. And the result was the creation of a sucking sensation or a thirst. And if you put these two pictures together, you have something like this. To, cha- to train a child properly, you must see your task as that of bringing a wild spirit into submission by creating a thirst or a taste for what you want him or her to know. So really you're to do two things. You're to break the wild spirit within your child without breaking the child's spirit. And every child has one of those. And you're to do so in such a way that the child is left with a thirst for doing what is right. So first let's talk about breaking the wild spirit. Proverbs 29 says, A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Proverbs 23.13 Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. That is, if you do so properly. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Proverbs 13.24 Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. So, we're only deceiving ourselves if we believe that children are basically good, and if left to themselves, they will grow up to be well-balanced, wonderfully fulfilled individuals. We're only deceiving ourselves if we claim that it's out of love that we refuse to apply the, the rod of correction. On the surface, it sounds very good, doesn't it? But since real love always chooses the best, there must be correction to anything in an individual's life that keeps him or her from the best. So without true discipline, there's no love. So look at Hebrews 12 again and look at verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens or punishes everyone he accepts as his son. So what's the method? And I know how countercultural this is. The method is corporal punishment or spanking. 
physical discipline. You know, um, as I say that, God's way, and it is God's way, of providing loving correction and training by means of spanking is not to be confused with child abuse. And there are people that believe, and this is why it's been outlawed in some countries, there are people that believe that spanking or corporal punishment is child abuse. Don't let anyone tell you that loving discipline is a form of child abuse. Now, a child should never be disciplined to the extent that it causes actual physical damage to the child. And any of you that have grown up in a home where there has been physical discipline to the point of abuse, then I know how painful it is to even mention something like I'm mentioning today. And, and some of us were disciplined by our own fathers in such a way that it's painful to even think about it. So trust me, I know that and I'm very cautious about that because of that. But I also know that we can't swing the pendulum to the other extreme because if we do, we will lose our children. Physical child abuse is the result of anger, selfishness, frustration, and anxiety while proper biblical discipline and correction provided through corporal punishment is motivated by love. Through my years of parenting, when I disciplined my children, it was not an enjoyable experience for them or for me. But the results are beautiful. Which leads to our third and final lesson. The biblical manner, first of all, the biblical method, secondly, and then thirdly, the biblical, the biblical manner. The biblical mandate, the method, then the manner. This is the third lesson, the manner. What are we training our children for? Well, as I said from the outset, our hope for children is that eventually they have this desire to glorify God. That is, they want to honor God in their life. And to learn to do that, they need to learn to honor their father and their mother. Which is why Paul mentions the fifth commandment in Ephesians chapter 6, to honor your father and mother, the fifth commandment, which actually means to do what? It means to revere your father and mother. And reverence actually means fear. Now, I was never afraid of my dad because there's actually a couple of ways of looking at this. There's the fear of a slave who obeys because he has to. And then there's the fear of a coward who obeys because he's afraid not to. The balance of these two extremes is reverential fear, which is the fear I had for my father, which is intended to be a parallel to our fear of God. And I say this because a proper recognition of who God is is essential to a proper relationship with God. In the same way, a proper recognition of who our parents are is essential to a proper relationship with our parents. And as children learn what it means to really honor father and mother, they will also learn the blessedness of doing what is right. Now, some of you probably still have questions about the method and the manner of the method, so let me encourage you. I was going to put an insert in the bulletin from a book called... Um, Spanking, Why, When, and How by Roy Lesson. Uh, my chief counselor, in case you did not know, is my wife, who said, I, I think if you do that, you could wind up on CNN. <laughs> so uh, 
pull those inserts as a result of that, but I do have them here. If any of you would like to have a copy, don't you dare put it on social media. Alright, so a couple of questions. When do you begin training a child? The answer is almost from infancy. Now, again, I'm not talking about spanking from infancy. But I'm talking about when a child is to receive some form of corporal punishment. And it should probably begin around 18 months and up through pretty pretty rapidly through the years of 3 through 6. And then it should start to dissipate with decreasing frequency until they're about 10. At that age, hopefully spanking is unnecessary. At that point, other corrective measures will be needed when your son or daughter is in rebellion. Too often, parents try to negotiate with their children rather than setting clear guidelines and expectations for their children. But here's a big question. Under what circumstances do you apply correction? And this is where parents really mess up. This is a very important question. When do you apply discipline as opposed to just correction? And there really is this correction versus discipline thing. When there's defiant behavior. When there's defiant behavior. Okay? And and that's... I'm not talking about impulsive behavior. A child spills his milk all over the breakfast table. That's just an accident. So there's no, there, you, you clean up the mess. But when there's maybe a child taking a toy from another child, is that when you impose physical discipline? No. That's time for correction. Because what are they doing? They're, they're impulsively responding because they see something they want. I, I'm talking about willful disobedience and defiant attitudes toward parents. God expects obedience and right attitudes from everyone. Right attitudes are issues of the will and not the emotions. Because this is true, a child can choose to be happy and content. A person's feelings and emotions are a barometer of the will. And I'll guarantee you this, when a child chooses a proper attitude, the appropriate emotional response will follow. So children need to know that wrong attitudes are unacceptable forms of behavior. And if these attitudes are not dealt with both quickly and firmly, not only will the child remain unhappy, but the well-being of the entire family will be affected as well. Scripture teaches it is right for children to obey their parents. Right thinking produces right attitudes, and in this case, honor. Right attitudes result in right actions, in this case, obedience. Just as the gospel is our only hope, the only hope a parent has, seriously, is to throw himself or herself as a parent on the rock, even Jesus Christ our Lord, remembering that just as God has been gracious and fair to us, we should also be gracious and fair to our children, and yet at times firm. Our actions, whether we like it or not, are rooted in. And grounded in what we believe. And if we believe the scriptures are right, then we in turn will train our children to obey us. 
Which is where we come now to the verse of the week, which is one we've already read, but it's one that I hope you'll memorize. Hebrews 12, verse 11. Hebrews 12, 11. In your outline, let's read this out loud together. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, your word. And thank you for the discipline, the loving discipline that was given by our parents. And Father, where there was not loving discipline, I ask that you give us the grace to forgive those who have wounded us, hurt us deeply. Lord, the last thing we want as parents is to hurt our children. But your word is very clear that if we love our children, we will discipline them. So please help us, Lord. Give us wisdom. Thank you for your word. Give us wisdom on when to correct and when to discipline. Help us always to be under the control of the Holy Spirit so that whatever we do, we never do it in anger. We thank you, Lord, for this church family and for the many children in this place. And I pray your blessings upon each one. And thank you for their parents. Bless these parents, Lord, as they seek your mind and wisdom and will for how to love and discipline their children. And may they grow up, Lord, these children, to honor and glorify you in their lives. I ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.